Well, it's a joy for us to be with you here this evening and throughout the week. Pastor, thank you for the invitation. We've been looking forward to being at the conference for quite some time now. Uh, my dad told me about the conference last year, and he said, you know what, we really need to make a strong effort to get down to Arise Baptist Church and be at the Equip Conference next year. And so that is finally coming to fruition, and we're thankful for that and uh, looking forward to what God has for us this week. I wanted to take a moment to introduce our team. I know Pastor briefly mentioned, but my better half is sitting down here. This is Emily, and we just got married back in August. And then we have two guys that travel with us as well as we go about promoting the camp. Mr. Marcus Baggett is from South Carolina originally. And then on my far right, your far left, is Micah Gillespie. And he grew up in Ohio and is now from uh, Austin, Texas. And they both just joined our full-time staff there at Southland. Uh, back in January. And so the Lord has given us the opportunity to travel and promote the camp and uh, be in a variety of different churches, just telling folks what God is doing in the, uh, the northwestern part of the state of Louisiana. And I know many of you are familiar with the camp and uh, you pray for us and you're participating with us and we're very thankful for your church's uh, participation and support of our camp and for what God is doing. We do have a table set up in the back. wanted to mention that very briefly with one CD that we've brought with us. We just produced a brand new CD out of the camp. It's entitled Be Still, and this is a piano recording, and we won't have this set out on our table throughout the rest of the week. Uh, so tonight's the only night you can get it off of our table, and then I think we'll have it maybe in the bookstore uh, throughout the rest of the week, but hopefully that can be an encouragement to all of us uh, uh, as you listen to that, that good and godly music. And we do believe in good, Christ-honoring gospel music. And my dad always said, music should move our hearts, not our hips. <laughs> and there's a movement that's going on in uh, kind of the broad scope of Christianity where conservatism is being lost in our music. And I want to encourage you that what you listen to in your headphones really matters to God, really matters for the cause of Christ and his glory in this earth. And so we're just trying to provide resources to that end and hope that you can take advantage of those resources. Well, take your Bibles with me this evening and turn to the book of Matthew again. Matthew, in chapter 9, I have to admit, Pastor Collard, when you announced your text this morning, I began praying in my seat, oh Lord, help him not to turn to Matthew 9. I, I need to preach that text tonight. And so <laughs> we heard a wonderful, a wonderful sermon this morning from Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and a great reminder, the command that we have as God's people to be a light in this dark world. You know, the, the darker the night, one person said, the brighter the light. And just like that little match that he described this morning that could fill a room of darkness, so too could your life begin to fill a world of darkness around you. And you know what's so special about the church is that every individual is, in a, some sense, in a different environment, a different portion of the night, a different portion of the darkness. And you are interacting with people on a daily basis that nobody else in this auditorium could reach like you could reach. Sir, nobody could interact with and reach those that you are working with in your workplace like you can. Ma'am, no one can reach those around you in the grocery store and at the, at the gas station and with your children even like you can. And the theme of the conference is to be a light in this dark world. And tonight we're going to look at a text which lays out for us some, really some responsibilities of a light bearer, a light sharer. 
And I love this. It comes from an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you'll notice down in the text, Matthew 9, begin reading in verse 35. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Tonight I'd like to share a a simple sermon with you entitled, The Harvest Matters. The Harvest Matters. Back in 2019, there was an article that was published which sought to draw some attention, some national attention to the state of California to detail a severe catastrophe that was taking place in the harvest fields of Southern California. Now it's really important to understand that the state of California has for a very long time been the leading state in the crop industry. It produces a lot of our food. As a matter of fact, it brings in about $50 billion in agricultural sales each year on an annual basis. It produces all of the nation's artichokes and plums, more than 90% of our broccoli, celery, avocados, tangerines, mandarins, and nectarines, and nearly 80% of our cauliflower, apricots, strawberries, raspberries, grapes, and lemons. Praise the Lord, there's something good coming out of California, right? It's amazing. So it was super odd that this article was suggesting that the state of California was going to lose billions and billions of dollars on its crop in 2019. Well, this disaster that swept over the state was not a result of drought. It was not due to a lack of seed or fertilizer or water or good soil. No, no, all of those things were in place. The crop was ready to be brought in. What they were missing in California in 2019 was laborers. They didn't have workers to go out and bring in the harvest, to bring in the crops. And they were looking for laborers. And in our text this evening, Jesus Christ says to his disciples this very same concern. Oh, friends, there is a harvest out there that truly is plenteous. It is great in multitude. And we are just missing workers to go out and to bring them in. And here in Matthew chapter 9, really Christ gives us an example of how we ought to be laboring in the fields. Oh yes, I understand I'm preaching to the church choir in in some sense tonight on this Sunday evening in a church who is doing a tremendous job at going to the world and reaching the lost. But lest we sit in our seats tonight and feel comfortable with where we're at, like we've got it all figured out, let me just encourage you that as we hear this message and as we are confronted with the truth and the example of Jesus Christ, would you not be satisfied with where you're at? Would you not be comfortable with where you are in the harvest right now. We can all do better in this effort of laboring in the harvest field of souls for the kingdom of God. And so here Christ gives us an example. And I'd like us to notice four responsibilities, four actions that Jesus Christ performs in this text that we must also emulate in our lives. We must look into this example and we must follow Christ's example as a laborer in the harvest field. Notice, first of all, with me tonight, 
that if we're going to be laborers in the harvest, and we're going to be disciples of Christ, we must be committed to the harvest. We must be committed to the harvest. Verse 35, we see the first action of the Lord Jesus Christ in this text, and that is that he went about all the cities and the villages. Now, it's a seemingly small statement to make that Jesus went about. He was busy. He was in the, the throes of his ministry here on earth. And in the midst of a busy season of life, in the midst of a busy time of ministry, Jesus Christ was committed to winning souls. He was committed to preaching the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus was a, a very busy man. If you begin to read Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew, and you're caught up to this point, just in the previous chapters that come before Matthew 9, we see Jesus Christ laboring and he healing folks and calling folks to repentance and doing mir miraculous works, which, by the way, all prove that he is who he says he is, and that is he is God. He is the light. He's the truth, but he was committed to meeting people's spiritual and physical needs. And the, the Bible describes these actions in several other places. Matthew 4.23 says that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Jesus was committed to the harvest. And I wonder tonight, are you committed to the harvest? Is it your mission in life? Is it a goal of your daily habits to go to the lost, to see the needs of those around you? We live in a world of commitment, do we not? Just before I came to church this evening, I turned on CBS and I began to watch what many folks are very committed to on most Sundays, the game of football. And say what you will about football, say what you will about the Kansas City Chiefs, which I'm a huge fan of. There are a lot of people that go to those sporting events and are, show their commitment to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I have no idea what the score is. I'll find out after the service and see if we beat the 49ers. But, boy, we know what it means to be committed. We know what it's like to wear the paraphernalia, to talk the talk, to, to have the feelings, oh, we lost again. You know, oh, we won again. Woohoo! let's go. And we, we wear the hats and we wear the brand for our sports teams and for, for our hobbies, and for our work. But I wonder, Christian, are you so committed, are you so determined and so set on the goal of reaching souls that you're willing to talk about it, that you're willing to, to go and to show your commitment to this harvest field? This is a responsibility that we have as God's people. He gave us the great commission. Sit in your home and read the word of God and just keep it all to yourself and Hide it under a bushel. No, no, he says, go to all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of every nation. That is our mission. And I wonder tonight, Christian, are we on mission? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just content? Are we satisfied with where we are? We must be committed to this harvest. Second of all, I'd like us to notice that we must also concentrate on the harvest. Not only must we be committed in our hearts and make this our mission, make this our goal, but we must also concentrate on the harvest. Verse, uh, verse 36 says that Christ saw the multitudes. This word to see has the idea of paying attention to something, to understand, to visit, to experience, to learn about someone or something. It's not the casual glance 
uh, at the billboard as we drive down the road. No, no, it is the intensity that we look at somebody. And that's the word that's used to describe what Jesus did when he saw the multitudes. So Christ not only committed his life to impacting lost souls, but he was always concentrated on engaging with the sick and with the lost, with the blinded, with those who walked in darkness. You know, there's a world full of lost souls who are dying and going to an awful place called hell. Billions and billions of people have never once heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder, are we concentrated on getting that message to them? Are we focused on reaching the lost? Again, in our culture today, our concentration is, is so divided. Right? The world pumps this philosophy, hey, just follow your heart. You know, do what you want to do with your life. Concentrate on yourself. You're the most important person in this world, right? A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep. My goodness, what a joke. If, the, if life is all about you, then life isn't worth very much. But if it's all about him, if it's all about the kingdom of God, boy, that's a greater purpose. Amen. If it's all about building the kingdom of God and sharing the good news, the hope of the gospel with a lost and dying world, boy, there's something to live for. There's something worth concentrating on there. And Christians, if we would get a hold of what Christ has done for us and really contemplate and really be gripped by the reality of this old rugged cross, Boy, how would that change our concentration? How would that change our loves? How would that change our motivation for why we do what we do? How would that change our attitude as we sit in a pew on a Sunday evening and a Wednesday night and sit in a Sunday school class on Sunday morning? If we would be so enthralled with what Christ has done for us, boy, we would be so much more concentrated on taking the good news to a lost and a dying world. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's concentrated on the harvest. He saw the multitudes. Not only did he see the multitudes, not only was he committed, not only was he concentrated, and so must we be, but third of all this evening, Christ had a deep care and a deep compassion for the multitudes. And so must we. And so I say to us tonight, disciples of Christ, we must care for the harvest. We must care for the harvest. You see, we can go through the motions. We can go to the door-knocking events. We can even sit here in church and say, Amen, brother, we need to share the gospel. These are wonderful things. And all along in our hearts, not have a true care and a true concern and a true compassion for the world around us. Verse 36 says that Christ was moved with compassion on them. This is a common phrase that the authors of the Bible use to describe what Jesus felt when he saw the lost. Matthew 14 and verse 1 says that Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion. Matthew 15 and verse 32 says Jesus called his disciples unto him and he, and he said, I have compassion on the multitude. Again in Matthew 20 and verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them. This compassion ran so deep in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ that it moved him to his knees, it drove him to work, it drove him to share the good news and the hope of the coming kingdom. This word, to be moved with compassion, literally has the idea of eating away at the inner parts of a person. Boys, to have pity on someone 
It's to look at that lost soul and not only see their, maybe their physical needs or, or their externals, but no, no, to know and realize and contemplate their eternal destination and so be moved with care for them, with compassion for them. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to take a missions trip to the country of the Philippines. Anybody in here ever been to the Philippines? Okay, yeah, the well, Philippines is a wonderful, wonderful country, really with a lot of open doors uh, for gospel, gospel witness. And so back in 2016, me and a couple of my friends and my brother and my dad, we took a basketball missions trip over to the Philippines. And so we had about 12 of us guys, a couple of our friends and then us. We went over there and we set up like basketball camps all throughout the city of Manila, and then we would do a basketball clinic and share the gospel with the young boys and the young men who showed up to these basketball clinics. Really a wonderful, eye-opening experience uh, for all of us. But there was one particular instance where I think in our group, we would all look back on and say, that's when the light kind of clicked in our mind. That's when, uh, that's when the light bulb went off, so to speak. You know, we were traveling uh, all around the city, and over there in the Philippines, they have these little buses that they call jeepneys. And they're old military vehicles that they've cut off or cut in half, and then they're like little buses that are totally open air. No windows, no door, and you kind of crawl in the back, and there's just simple ben benches up along the walls, and you sit down, and you know, you're driving through this massive city with millions of people in it, and just looking out on the streets and seeing so many souls, seeing so many needs. And so one day after one of the uh, events that we had, we hopped in one of these little jeepneys, and all of us 12 big, tall guys, I was about the shortest one of all of them, which was a bummer, but it was still fun, okay, we hopped in that jeepney, and we began to drive back to our hotel. And I'll never forget, as we drove down the, the streets of Manila, we pulled up to a, to a stop sign, a stoplight. And as we sat there, we began to chat and talk, and while we were talking, two young Filipino boys walked up to the back of that jeepney. It was obvious that they were homeless, that uh, they didn't have a parental authority as they were just roaming the streets of this massive city. They had very little clothing on and a, very, uh, a lot of needs uh, in their life. And they were asking us, oh, would you give us, give us some, some clothing, would you, anything you've got, some food. And we handed them some leftover food that we had. We handed them uh, some clothing, that, extra clothing that we had. And boy, as we pulled away from those two young boys and saw them in the distance, I turned back to the, the group of guys and several of the guys just began to weep. They had never seen a need like that. They had never been so moved with compassion on a, not only a, a hurting child in the sense of needing physical needs, but even in a spiritual sense. Boy, there are two young men who have nothing. And they're living throughout this life with no hope, no salvation. And those young boys need the gospel. That's the idea. That's the compassion that Christ had on the multitudes here in this text. And Christians, if we would develop and ask God tonight for this type of compassion, that compassion which moves us when we talk to the clerk at the grocery store, that compassion which moves us for our family members that are lost and on their way to an awful place called hell, that compassion which so motivates our gospel witness and our gospel testimony. And by the way, the compassion that moves us to live a holy life so that the world will look at us and not see another human being going about the wickedness of the world, but a, a Christian who will see Christ on display. Do you have this type of care? Do you have 
this type of compassion. The Bible tells us why Jesus was moved with compassion in this text. He was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad. They were harassed and they were helpless. Boy, they had nobody to lead them spiritually. They had nobody to guide them, to help them in their walk with Christ. There was nobody discipling them. There was nobody coming alongside and saying, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the relationship that you can have with the God of heaven. And Jesus was moved by this reality. So I wonder, Christian, tonight, what individual have you noticed in the past week with significant spiritual needs? Have we noticed them? Have we engaged with them? Have we been moved with this type of compassion? I mean, really, when was the last time that you fell down on your knees before a holy God and wept over a lost soul and wept over a lost family member and begged God to save their soul and to work in their life? That's the type of compassion Christ exhibited, and that is the type of compassion we ought to have as well. You see, we can go through the motions. We can go through all the rituals of door knocking and soul winning. But until it's connected to a heart of compassion, boy, we are not emulating Christ's example like we ought. No, and may we be moved with this compassion. May we have this care. So Christ was committed. He was concentrated. He had compassion. He had care on the harvest. And finally this evening, I'd like us to consider the command that Christ gives to us. And that is disciples of Christ who are engaging in the harvest fields, who are going into the work of the ministry, who are winning lost souls for Christ, they must cry out for harvesters. And you'll notice down in what Jesus says in verse 37, he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Here's the shortage. Here's what we need. And then in verse 38, he gives us the, the, the way to get more harvesters. Pray. Ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, he doesn't say have more programs. Just be more persuasive in trying to get more people out to soul winning. Just, just force people to go out and share the gospel. No, no, it says pray that the Lord would call more souls into the harvest field. More workers to labor for the cause of Christ. More Christians who would engage with the lost more Christians who would get serious about the compassion that they ought to have. More Christians who would concentrate and stay on mission in this life. And Christ says to his disciples, you're looking for a solution to the greatest problem that the church is facing today? More laborers in the harvest field? It's not add more programs or more posters. It's not have more events at the church. It's pray that the Lord would send more harvesters into his field. Amen. And again, Christian would... Could it be described in our life that we are a person who is praying for laborers? Praying for more of God's people to get involved in this work. You know, I love speaking to teenagers. I get the opportunity a lot to talk to teenagers. And it's a joy to challenge them. And to engage with them and say, and hear what they're, what they're going through, what they're facing as they're seeking to live a life of Christ. And oftentimes, often I talk to them and, and man, they have so many questions and they have so many doubts and they feel so insecure and they want to be part of this labor. They want to be part of this harvest work. 
And they're just simply looking for a more seasoned person, more faithful man or woman of God to come alongside of them and, and put their arm around them and pray for them and, and help them. Would to God that we would have a faithful generation who has gone on before guys like me who would, who would be praying for young people. Would to God that we'd have some, some older ladies in this room tonight who would get serious about praying for the young people of this church. Instead of uh, casting the young people aside, oh, they're just caught up in all the technology and all the social media. How about we pray for them and come alongside them and say, hey, you can be part of this effort too. You can be part of this work. You can be part of laboring in the harvest fields for Christ. And young people, there's no excuse for us either, right? Man, we got to have this compassion. We got to curate and, and generate this type of care in our own hearts that we would be moved with compassion on those that are around us. Oh, tomorrow, Micah, tomorrow. When I go to college, I'll get serious about winning souls for Christ. No, young person, it begins now. It begins in your youth. And the greatest lie the devil is telling to our generation today, young people, is later. Serve God later. Hey, listen, later will never come if we don't get serious tonight about being part of this mission work. And by the way, Christian, tonight, we can't use that excuse either. You say, I've been in the church a long time, and I just, I've, done my, I've done my duty. I've won the souls. I'm, I'm, I'm expired. I'm out of commission. I'm done. Oh, no, no, Christian. You're not out of commission until God takes you out of commission by calling you home to be with himself. And so in a sense, we all need this. We need this care and this concentration and this compassion and this commitment to the harvest field. And above all, we must pray. Pray for the harvest. Pray for more laborers. And could it be that as we pray for more labor, pray for more laborers, pray for more effort and work in the harvest, that God would answer your very prayer with you? Say, Lord, send more, fee send more people to the mission field. And could it be that God would point his finger at you and say, you're the one. You're the answer to your prayer. Oh, Lord, send more people over there to that, to that grocery store across town. Maybe you're the answer to that prayer. So pray, pray, pray as if everything depended upon God and then let's go out and work as if everything depended on us. That we would be active participants in this laboring. And so we must cry out. We must pray for more harvesters. I read a story recently that I'd like to share with you tonight. I believe it is a descriptor of many churches in America tonight. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude, little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat at this life-saving station. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with this life-saving station and give of their time and their money and their effort to support the work that was going on. So new boats were bought and new crews were trained. This, this little life-saving station began to grow. But some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now, this crude little life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. 
And they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it kind of like a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decorations, and there was even a miniature lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and these hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and this beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members then insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But these individuals were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could go down the street and start their own life-saving station. And so they did. As the years went by, this new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Isn't this a descriptor, perhaps, of churches in America today? Where the life-saving station, the life-saving message, has been reduced to a club, reduced to a gathering of social people who are missing their mission, who are missing the purpose. Would to God tonight that we would make a decision in our hearts that that's not going to be a description of my life. I'm going to stay in the life-saving, the gospel-sharing, the light-showing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, be committed, be concentrated, be caring, and being crying out for workers to go into this harvest field as we labor for lost souls. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight? I'd like to give us an opportunity to respond in our hearts with just a quiet moment of invitation. We've been confronted with an example tonight. Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, our high priest, the one who showed us how to live, and folks, the one who showed us what it meant to love and care for people in the harvest fields. Oh, are we following this example? Are we living as Christ would have us to live as we labor for lost souls? simple. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. It's a command to go to this world. 
Yeah, but Micah, I'm scared. I, I can't do it. Oh, friend. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. That's that compassion and of a sound mind. Boy, with God's help, we can overcome the fears of soul winning. We can overcome the fears of going to the lost and dying world if we would simply trust and obey. Lord, tonight we thank you for this wonderful text, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his efforts to go to a lost and a dying world who is living in darkness. I pray that we would take up this challenge tonight. We would consider Christ and that we would have this care and this compassion and this focus as we go about our week, even this week, through this conference, through our efforts through our work and our school and with our family members that we would be concentrated on winning souls to you for that is our calling that is our mission we pray that we would be true to that mission you give us the grace and the strength to continue to press on and lord we'll give you the glory for all that you do and we pray these things in jesus name amen